0: May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. For someone whose writings are preserved in a collection of religious texts, the collection known as the Bible, the prophet Isaiah seems singularly critical of religious practices and observances. We Listen tonight. As verses from the first chapter of Isaiah were read, the prophet can hardly be accused of not speaking his mind. The Lord says, he writes, Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Tell us how you really feel, Isaiah. God is wearied by Israel's religious festivals? What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Now that's an interesting question actually. Because it would certainly not have been unreasonable for the people to answer, "Um, Who asked for the sacrifices, Lord? Uh, Actually, you did. Because all of the things which Isaiah is so critical of have their origins in the Torah. The sacrifices, the festivals, the whole works, it's all there. We're only doing what our ancestors were instructed to do. We're just trying to meet the obligations required of us in order to fulfill our side of the covenant. That would be a completely reasonable answer for the people to give to Isaiah. But no. You see, they're really not. And that's the prophet's fundamental insight here. They've become religious practitioners which is something entirely different from being a covenant people. Again, giving voice to what he's heard as God's message to the people, Isaiah continues, When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. What then are these people to do? prophet says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And such things, such very practical things, that pleading for the widow or the protecting of the orphans the rallying behind the oppressed, all of those things are as much grounded in the Torah, or at least as much uh, an expression of covenant faithfulness as are all of the holy days and all of the rituals. In fact, one without the other is meaningless. That's what Israel's forgotten. And so it's the prophet's task to call them back. This is what prophets do, you see, all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures. They speak a hard and critical word into a forgetful society to try to wake it up. I find it really fascinating that in the list of the things that are identified as wearisome to God, Isaiah includes the Sabbath. In its origins, Sabbath had been such a countercultural practice. Remember, this is a people who carry with them a story of having been enslaved in Egypt, where something like a day of rest was utterly unknown. This is a people called to establish itself as an alternative to a world driven by a -a seven-day-a-week economy, a -a seven-day-a-week never-closing marketplace. And so, one of their foundational texts from the Ten Commandments, the book of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Sabbath was never meant to be a burden or a rule bound obligation. It was given as a gift to be shared by all who were in the land, men and women young and old, servants, foreign visitors, and even the livestock, they were supposed to have a day to rest. It's a consecrated day meant to shape the people differently from how they've been shaped back in Egypt. Differently, too, from how the surrounding cultures all operated. Yes, markets should close for a day. Yes, the obligations of the economy should be set aside for a day. Yes, we should all have the time to rest, to breathe, and to savor the goodness of the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Yet even the great gift of the Sabbath day had been debased in the time in which Isaiah writes... And so he sweeps it together with the rest of what he sees as being essentially failed religion. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Let us argue it out. Sort of a quintessentially Jewish approach to religious faith. To find truth in the argument with the Lord. Bring it on. See if you can show me that there's any integrity left in your religion. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. There is hope, in other words. There is a way to go back to first things, which is at the same time the only way to go forward. But, the prophet adds rather ominously, But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now I hear that final warning as being less a prescriptive threat of punishment and more a description of how things will turn out if Israel keeps going through its religious motions without actually embedding them into an alternative culture. Embedding them into, into a kind of a way of being that will learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. If they don't go back to those first things, it's not going to end well. If they play by the rules set by the nations all around them, those nations will devour you. They're better at it than you are, Israel. Stronger than you. Your only possible future is to find your strength by becoming a whole alternative people. God's people. I hear Isaiah's strong words as being critically important for the church. All church traditions, all church denominations have their established practices, their liturgies, or their way of doing things whenever they gather. But I think Isaiah's words have a particular force for a church that roots its gatherings in sacramental and more formally liturgical kinds of patterns. Look around you. All around in this building, look at what I'm wearing. We're surrounded by the paraphernalia of religion. We just are. Liturgical rites and symbolism can be a great gift. They can be an incredible guide. They can spark our imaginations and lead us forward. But as as Isaiah says, even of something so significant as, as Sabbath, liturgical rites and symbols can go dead completely dead on us, becoming something done by rote, without any attention to what they're actually meant to express. That's why it's so important that we actually own the words we sing and say and pray. That's why it's so important that each time we move forward as a congregation to share in the bread and the wine, we embrace the mystery as Gord Johnson puts it in one of his communion songs. That's why it's so important to sidestep the narrowly religious matters of correct way of doing things, dutiful obligation, and actually embrace what lies at the heart of coming together to sing and to pray and to learn as a celebrating people. To cite... Robert Capon. (laughs) We gather as a church to taste and see how gracious the inveterately hospitable Lord is. To share still another bottle of the great old wine He's always kept your, your cellar full of. And to relish once again the old tall tale about how he came to his old party in disguise and served the devil a rubber duck. You go in short to have a ball, to keep company while you roll over your tongue the delectable things that have been yours all along, but they get better every time you taste them. It's not a case of coming together to perform a ritual that's supposed to get us something. That's what Isaiah was seeing and happened in the Israel of his day, which is why he hits it so hard with his tough words. No, it's a case of coming to together to celebrate a reality already given us. Or as Capon says, to taste and see how gracious the inveterately hospitable Lord is. To share still another bottle of the great old wine he's always kept your cellar full of. Doesn't mean the communion wine, not narrowly, although maybe it symbolizes that. But our cellars, the cellars of our lives, are actually loaded with the richest of stuff. We come together to celebrate all of that given us already as a gift. Freed from being merely religious, freed from mere religious observance, this all can become a thankful celebration of what we were first given. And because the inveterately hospitable Lord wants us at this table, it begins to sink in week after week that He actually wants us to make room for everyone. I think the prophet Isaiah